You know, we have a, uh, a venue at 11.15 service for two years now where when we're all worshiping in here at 11.15, we also have a simulcast me this message. They have live worship across campus, but then the message is simulcast in at the 11.15 hour to our high school room. Today is the first day, January 8th, where we now are doing the same thing at 9.30. So we got some people over in the high school room right now that have just tuned into us for the message. So why don't you give your, show your appreciation for your brothers and sisters over there. And if you would like something that's a bit more of an intimate community and uh, with maybe two to 400 people and would like to check out our 930 venue, that starts today and it will continue to go on uh, for a long time now. So uh, feel free to check that out yourself. Not that we don't want you here, but you know what I mean. And so it is a, a huge day for us. It's a very different day today at our church. As many of you know, if you're familiar with Scottsdale Bible, we're usually preaching through some sort of exegetical topic from the Bible or maybe through a book of the Bible. This year we're going to do a series on doctrine in a couple weeks and then we're going to do the book of Galatians uh, a little bit later this year. Uh, but today and next week are very different Sundays. Today and next week we are talking about vision today, the vision for the church and where we're going as a church for 2012. And then as many of you know, next Sunday we're kicking off our 50 anniversary celebration. I mean, it's going to be an awesome Sunday. You, you will notice an obvious difference to our campus when you come on site next Sunday. You'll know something's up that we're celebrating what God has done. So I just make that comment to you that if this is a different kind of message or feel to you today, that's by design. We want to set the tone for the year today in the time that we have remaining right now. So I got a lot to share with you. We've got some exciting things going on this year. So as we dive into the word right now, would you bow with me? And 930 Venue as well, would you bow with me and let's pray. Father God, thank you for your goodness and for your grace and how you have shown us so graciously what you want us to be about in your word, the Bible. So I pray, God, that as we string together a few passages now, as to what you want most from us in life, that, God, you might help us to have a vision for our individual lives, for our church, and certainly, Lord, even a vision that begins now, in 2012, because uh, it's not too late for any of us when it comes to what you want our lives to be. God, thanks for Troy and for uh, the other worship leaders on campus here, Lucas, who have helped prepare our hearts right now for worship and for your word. And I pray, God, that our minds might be focused and our hearts tender to what you'd have to share with us. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I, as a pastor, one of the things that I have to focus on quite often is death. It's death. I don't mean to be morose, but if you were in my job, you would get it. I perform funerals. I visit the sick and the dying. I answer questions as best I can about heaven. And so it's impossible to be an involved pastor and to escape this whole thing of death. And yet one of the positive sides, I think, of focusing on death is that not only as a Christian is death a gain because we go to be with the Lord in heaven and we should never, ever, ever forget that. Isaiah says that this life is like a blade of grass here today, gone tomorrow. Eternity is forever in the presence of the Lord. But also another positive thing I think about focusing on death is that it causes you to focus on legacy. This whole idea of legacy. In other words, as you're living here right now, anticipating someday you're going to die, what are you going to be most known for? 
But what are you going to leave behind to those that knew you? What kind of legacy are you leaving in the wake of your life? I think it's a good question for us to consider. You know, if you were to ask popular culture today what kind of legacy they want to leave, I think one of the common answers, especially here in America, would be a financial legacy. Many people are concerned about that. You think of the Carnegies, the Vanderbilts, the Rockefellers, or Bill Gates, or Ted Turner today, and we have so many wealthy people in the history of our country, and even today, it's hard to escape the whole idea that money brings security, security we want to leave for our kids, so we leave a financial legacy. And so many people, when they die today, especially in the western part of the world, are more known for what they left behind financially than anything else. And even many Christians tend to be caught up in all of that. But then there's other people who say, you know, it's not finances that I'm concerned about. I've gotten beyond that. It's, it's education and intellect that I want to be most known for. I sent my kids to college. I supported educational institutions. I, I got a degree myself. Maybe I got published. Maybe I've written some things. And so the thing that we're going to be most known for when we leave a legacy is kind of the mind share that we left behind to those around us. And then there's still other of us say, well, money, finances, I don't know. There's more that I want to be known for as well. So we tend to think of then business or leadership is the legacy that we're going to leave. Kind of like a corporate or enterprise thing. When I was uh, in the end of this last year, I was visiting somebody at his home who was in the last stages of his battle against cancer. A good Christian man, uh, to be sure. So we talked a lot about heaven and glory and helped pray him into eternity. This was in December. But one of the things I couldn't help notice as I visited him on a few occasions is that he, he loved the glory days, and maybe some of you will relate to this, uh, of his business dealings in the 70s and the 80s. And he just loved to tell me stories of all the deals that he brokered and all the stuff in the 70s and 80s. And I thought, you know, if you didn't know any better, the legacy that this guy is going to leave he even wrote a letter to his friends like this, as a legacy of business and leadership. Some people want to be most known for that. The list is endless. Some of us are going to be known most for our hobbies, our woodworking, our cars, our sports, our travel. That's a very American thing to do. If you're a Christian, some of you are going to be most known for your doctrine when you die. In fact, they're going to chisel on your gravestone that you were pre-mill, pre-trib, cessationist, inerrantist, or something like that. I mean, you're known for your doctrine already. Some of us might be known for our heightened morality. We never veer from due north. We're very austere. We're tight in our morality. We're going to be most known for that by our kids and our grandkids. So many things that you and I can leave behind. I want you to wrestle right now with what is your legacy going to be. Because as you wrestle with that, here's the deal, folks, and that is it is good and fine as many of the things that we just listed are, and they are good and fine. I mean, in and of themselves, money, education, business, hobbies, doctrine, and morality are all good things. God talks about them. But believe it or not, the Bible comes along, and with the clarity of the sun on a crisp winter day, it tells you and I that none of the things we just listed are to be the primary things that we would be known for from our lives. Isn't that interesting? It tells us that of all the things we could be known for, none of these things on this list are to make the number one thing. That if people were to remember us for anything, if we are to leave any legacy, here's what the Bible says you and I need to leave a legacy of. Troy mentioned it earlier, and that is a legacy of personal, interactive love. It's true. 
The legacy that God wants us to leave behind, that you and I are supposed to be most remembered for, is what I would label, you'll see this biblically in just a second here, personal interactive love. More so than the money you have, the business you built, the education you attained, the hobbies that you're good at, even more important than doctrine and morality, God says he wants us to leave a relational legacy of personal interactive love to those that knew us this side of heaven. Now, let's be really clear on how the Bible states this to us. As I mentioned when I prayed, I'm going to string together a few passages for you here right now. We don't usually do that. We usually just stick in one passage and exegete it deeply, and that's our passage for the day. But I'm going to string together some passages for you right now. And if I do, see if you can pick up a pattern of what matters most. Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. Jesus is talking to some lawyers. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. So, when Jesus would distill all of the Old Testament to a Cliff Notes version for you and I, telling us what matters most out of the 400-plus commandments in the Old Testament, he landed on two, to love God and to love your neighbor. Or how about when Paul the Apostle would share with us what three things remain, this side of heaven, that we should focus on. Do you remember what he said? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. He says, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is, say it with me, love. So, so the greatest thing that you and I can be about in our lives right now, Paul the Apostle says, is love. Or how about when Paul was doing this rich theological treatise between law and grace in the book of Galatians, and as he's parsing out the differences between law and grace and what really matters most, look at what he says in Galatians 5.6 in the New International Version. Look up here on the screen. He says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Doesn't that move you? It moves me. It helps me understand life. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Or how about when Peter was trying to understand what really matters in relationships this side of heaven, how you can make your relationships work. What did he tell us to do? He said get a master's degree, didn't he? No. He didn't say broker the next business deal. He didn't say get a better education. He didn't even say hone your doctrine and sharpen your morality, as good as all those things are. But look at what he says in 1 Peter 4.8. He says, above all, love, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of sins. And I looked up that phrase, above all. In the original Greek that the New Testament was written in this week, I was, I was interested, what, what does that really mean? So I looked it up in the original Greek, and you know what, it's fascinating, you know what this phrase literally means? Above all. <laughs> that, that's what it means, above all. Think of your life, think of all the things that you prioritize, all the things that you pour, in, pour into, and above any of them, love one another earnestly. Why? Because it's going to bode well with you. Love's going to cover over, cover over a multitude of sins and crud in your life. Are you starting to get the picture? 
kind of like a scratch CD. You ever had that in your car where you got a scratch CD and it just plays the same tune over and over and over and over again? The Bible on this subject is like a scratch CD, hitting it from all different angles, whether it's law or grace or that which remains or the greatest commandments or even how to make relationships work. It all comes down to the same common denominator, and that is love. And just so we're clear, by love, what the Bible means here is how you treat others, how you interact with them, how and in what ways you prioritize other people with the time, talents, and treasures that you have. That's the measure of your love. I can't tell you many times as a pastor in the last 20 years, I've had people say to me, well, I love others, I love others. And again, if I was being really honest in the moment, I'd say, it doesn't show. And the way that you interact with other people in your life and the way that you treat everybody from a service provider in the store to your wife at night to your children to co-workers, I got to tell you, it doesn't show. So you might have a heart that has some benevolent feelings towards other people, but that's not the barometer of love. The barometer of love, according to the Bible, is how you treat other people, how you interact with them. Don't miss this. Love is always organic. It's always relational. It's always interactive. It's always personal. It's Jesus interacting with the woman at the well. It's Jesus interacting with the woman caught in adultery. It's Jesus interacting with Peter when he denied him. It's Jesus interacting in his resurrected state with Saul on the road to Damascus. Love is always upfront, personal, and close. It's relational. That's the way God designed it. And so you can't have love without relationship. You can't have love without it being personal. Love is always that way. And it's the legacy that God wants you and I to be most known for more than anything else. You know, if you were with us here at Christmas, you know that I shared briefly about my grandmother on my dad's side. What I didn't share is that she was a, a good Christian woman of the Presbyterian type, of the old order Presbyterian, if you know what I mean. In other words, very sincere, very austere, uh, very formal. I guess that skipped a couple generations with me, but, but she was of that ilk, and, and she very much loved God. And she had a tough life. She raised my dad as a single mom when her husband died in 1941. Uh, and my dad was only seven years old, an only child. And he left behind no money, no very little resources, family that were all the way across the country. They were in California at that time. And so my grandmother sold their one car, bought two one-way train tickets to Peoria, Illinois, where she became an elementary school teacher for the next 30 years. Put my dad through college, eventually into law school. And eventually she died in 1978 when I was 14 years old. And when my dad buried her in Evergreen Cemetery in Chagrin Falls, Ohio, here is what her gravestone says if you were to go there today. It says, Evelyn Bonham Rasmussen, 1903 to 1978. And then he had three words chiseled in the stone. She loved deeply. When my dad thought of what three words he wanted to write about his mom, through all the ups and downs, through all the things that she went through, through loving her grandkids, loving her neighbors, all of that, he says she loved deeply. And so here's a question I have for you. When you die, what are they going to chisel on your gravestone? What are they going to say? I love it when people tell me when they're alive today, you know, when I die, I want this on my gravestone. And I think, you're not going to have a choice. <laughs> you're dead. Do we all understand that? I, you can tell them what to write, but they're under no obligation whatsoever to do that. 
What you write is for the person left behind. They're the ones going to visit you. And so the reality is, is that they're going to determine what to write. But here's the cool thing. You can choose now what kind of legacy you're going to leave, right? You can choose now what kind of person you're going to be so that what they write might fit what you're shooting for. You know, it's no coincidence that our vision statement for our church is this. Look up here on the screen. It dovetails completely. We desire to be a community of Christ followers marked by an unwavering faith in Jesus Christ and an unconditional love for those around us. i, I got to tell you, that's an eminently biblical vision statement. We want to be a community, not a club, not an organization, not a building, not a bunch of programs, but an organic community of people who believe in and follow Jesus Christ with an unwavering faith. And one of the key markers of our discipleship is how we treat others. With an unconditional, head-turning, embracing, Jesus-like kind of love that's seen in how we interact with those around us. So make no mistake, folks, it's, folks, it's love that we're after more than anything else. It's love that not only drives us, but guides us in all we do as followers of Christ. Now, once we've established this, the only question for this year becomes, so what does this have to do with our church in 2012, right? What are you and I going to do this year to forge a deeper, more abiding love for God and for those around us as we celebrate 50 years of ministry here in the valley? Four things I want to share with you in our brief time remaining here this morning. Four initiatives that our elders and lay leaders and staff have all stacked hands on over the last six months as we've been anticipating 2012. These are things that we believe deeply in that we want to share with you today, and hopefully you will get on board with us as to we, where we believe God is leading us. And the first thing is what we call our Worship Connect Serve initiative or its trade name, and you'll see why in a second, is 2 plus 2 plus 2. So what's that about? About six months ago, I was sitting around with a few of our staff in our, staff, uh, our conference room, and we were just kind of shooting the breeze about certain subjects and waiting for the next meeting to start. And I said to them, I said, you know, if you're the average person at Scottsdale Bible Church, if you came on a regular basis and sat in a pew on Sundays, what message would you hear from those in leadership as to what we all want from each other to be fully devoted followers of Christ in and through our church? I said, so if you're average person in the pew, what message are we sending as to what it takes to be a follower of Christ in and through this local expression of a church? And I could tell that this was a good question to ask because I got that infamous deer in the headlights look. I, I got this long stare in which I could tell that they really hadn't any clue on what we... So for the next two months, we started to talk about this. And eventually we landed on this thing that we're calling Worship Connect Serve or 2 plus 2 plus 2. Simply put, we're challenging all of us who consider this a church home to worship regularly in one of our seven worship venues two hours a week and then to connect meaningfully in some type of small group an average of two hours a week and then to serve Get out of yourself and serve others in this community, again, an average of two hours a week, ergo two plus two plus two. And we feel that that is a minimal but optimal commitment that we would ask anybody who calls this their church home to have. 
And so walk through this very quickly with me. First, worship on a regular basis, it'll take you about two hours a week. And that includes drive time. Aren't we generous? <laughs> I mean, our worship services go about 69 minutes. Believe me, I time them. And most of you come late anyways. <clears throat> and so... Honestly, you can't spend more than two hours by the time you leave house, and the claim jumper's closed, so you're not going there anymore. So I'm telling you, it's about a two-hour venture. But in all seriousness, one of the cool things about our church is that we have a classic service at 8, which is more hymn-driven. We have the blended service that y'all in right now, the 930 Contemporary Venue across campus. We have 1115 Contemporary, 5 o'clock uh, Contemporary, 1115 Venue Contemporary. And then if you want super contemporary, for our 20-somethings, we have a 6.30 service called Soma that we have. So seven services every Sunday. I tell my pastor friends, we have something to offend everyone here at Scottsdale Bible Church. I, I, and so there's like no excuse not to come to church here if this is your church home. And so we're asking all of us to re-up in our commitment to make worship a regular thing, a weekly thing. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 couldn't be more clear. Look up here on the screen. It says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love. Remember, we're after love and good works. Now, here it is. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day, the day of Christ, drawing near. So it's all about worship. Then notice we're asking us all to connect in a small group with each other. Simply put, if your sum total of church experience at Scottsdale Bible Church is a large group setting, I can tell you right now, that is not God's will for you through the local church. It's really not. The book of Acts, as we'll see in just a second here, makes it very clear that we do meet for large group teaching, but we also need to connect meaningfully in a small group with other believers. And so here's a good working definition of a small group. It's 5 to 15 people who meet twice a month or more for the purpose, and this is key, of loving each other, learning together the word and applying it, and doing things for each other as you serve as a small band of believers. I got saved, as many of you know, 31 years ago now this year. And when I became a Christian, one of the first things I did was join a small group. Nobody told me to. Nobody gave me an instruction manual. I hadn't read the Bible on that yet. But I just knew that even as individual as I was, and as tenaciously independent as my dad raised me, that I needed other people. And so one of the cool things about your church is that we have all types of small groups here. We have men's groups. We have women's groups. We have recovery groups. We have support groups. We have enrichment classes that break down into small groups. We have teen groups. We have children's groups. We have all different kinds of groups. And so our challenge to you this year is choose one. And some of you are saying, well, how do I do that? Well, a week from tonight, uh, January 15th at 6.30 in our town center, we're going to have a big small group sign-up event that if you're interested in getting a small group and haven't figured out how to get in one yet, go next Sunday night at 6.30. Or we're going to be challenging all of our 400-plus small groups that we have right now, now don't miss this, to start inviting you all to their small group. So there might be a really good chance, statistically speaking, that you're going to get invited to a small group don't say no. Check it out. At least go once. See if it's the right fit for you. 
We're asking you to connect in a small group where everybody tells their story, everybody gets prayed for, everybody gets cared for, where you're not an island in a big place like Scottsdale Bible Church. And then the third thing that we're asking you to do is to serve. To serve. Again, about an average of two hours a week is figure what it would take. You know, one of the cool things about being a rather large church is that we have hundreds of service opportunities here at Scottsdale Bible. We have outreach students, singles, special ministries. We have marriage, small groups, young adults, children, financial stewardship, men, women, seniors, worship arts, tech AV facilities. We have a bookstore, connections, kitchen ministry. I mean, the list is endless as to the ministries that have started here over the last 50 years that you can get involved in right now. And I love it. Some people say to me, they say, well, you know, I don't serve in the church. I'd rather serve out there in the community. Good point. Next slide. Uh, we have a full-time staff person here at Scottsdale. You know, I'm ready for you. We have a full-time staff person at Scottsdale Bible Church named Berta Myers whose only job is to help us formally link arms with partner ministries in the community and help all of you get involved. Is that not cool? So neighborhood ministries in the inner city is one of our partner ministries, alongside ministries that works in prison. Uh, CFCA, Christian Family Care Agency, working with adoption and with foster care. Phoenix Rescue Mission, we're on the reservation with chief ministries. I mean, you can read the list there. So call the church office, ask for Berta, say, how do I get involved? Uh, there's plenty of opportunity for you. 1 Peter 4, verse 10, is one of my favorite verses in Peter when we taught it a couple of years ago. Peter says it this way, he says, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. It's simply saying that God's graced you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ here today, no matter how much you might be hurting, no matter what you might be going through right now, God's grace is still upon you. We remind you of that all the time. And part of God's grace being upon you is that he has said you have a gift given from him, 22 plus gifts alone in the New Testament. Use it to serve other people. I think one of the biggest heresies in the church today, and I hear it all the time, is when somebody says, well, you know, I, I think now I'm ready to serve. I think I prepared myself and I'm ready to serve. I think to myself, what Bible verse tells you that? I, I mean, I was a Christian three weeks and I started serving other people. I didn't need to get prepared to serve. I needed to be saved and breathing to serve. And so do you. If you're still alive and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible says serve. No matter how hurting, no matter how confused, no matter what your circumstance, serve. And we're asking all of us to consider, if this is your church home, to consider serving this year. Some people ask me as we've been planning for this, well, do we really have a problem with this, Jamie? I mean, it's not like we have a problem. Do we really not have all that many people serving and in small groups? Well, well here's the statistics. Is it out of 6,500 people that on a weekly average come worship here, and that includes children and teens, we average about 6,500 throughout the year, we have about 3,200, just about half, that are involved in small groups and service, and that's pretty good. If you look at national averages, that's not bad. Our goal this year is that by the end of 2012, that number would be 80%. We feel that God would be pleased with that. Some of these people said to me, why not 90? Why not 95? Because we're trying to give grace. Back off. We believe that 80%. 
would be a really good number for us to shoot for. I'm just kidding. A really good number for us to shoot for as we try to say to 2,000 additional people, do the math, we want you to worship, connect, and serve with us. And so if the glove fits, if the shoe fits, then, then wear it for this and pray to God as to what he would have you do. Now, it doesn't stop there. Second initiative we're fired up about this year is what we're calling our multi-site initiative. Uh, simply put, uh, we, in order to develop more intimate community and in order to help the ministry of Scottsdale Bible Church reach more lost people, which is the Great Commission, we're beginning a second meeting place uh, and a second campus later in 2012. So hopefully all of you were handed a brochure like this, the 930 venue. Hopefully you were handed a brochure like this when you walked in. I'd like you to pull it out right now. And obviously I'm not going to read it to you because you can read it later. But simply put, let me ask very quick, answer very quickly the what, the why, and then the when about this idea of multi-site. Because it will involve all of us at some level. First, the what. In case you're unfamiliar with it, a multi-site is not a church plant. It's simply a, 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 an additional campus, in this case a second campus, that will have their own facility, their own campus pastor, their own staff for teens and for worship and for children. They'll have their own live worship, but it will still very much be SBC because the same elders will be overseeing all of this, the same ministry structure, the same joint budget, and the teaching will be the same to keep us unified. So the teaching at our multi-site will be like our venues. It will be done simulcast via video. Why are we doing this? I won't kid you. One of the number one reasons is because we're out of space. And that's just a demographic decision. During our high season, which is January through May, at our peak hours, which are 9.30 and 11.15, we have run out of room at the uh, 17 acres that we have here on Shea. We've been down this road before with our North Campus before, so it's the same thing. But there's two other reasons that we actually are pulling the trigger on this. And, and, and one is because we want to develop more intimate community. We've learned with our venues, and some of you check them out, which run about three to 500 people, that they love that more intimate venue. Many of us come from California or from the Midwest where we really were reared in smaller churches. And though we love Scottsdale Bible, we like the idea of having a more intimate venue to worship in. And so we will provide that for you. But the second reason we're doing it is also because of evangelism. We live in a saturated demographic five miles around the church. Do you all understand that? Not a lot of new houses going up here. At 20, 30 years ago, when we built this place, it was open desert. Now it's a saturated demographic. So we have people that travel 15 to 30 minutes to come here. And I like how one church said it that we did our research on. They said, if they won't come to church, we'll bring church to them. And that's the idea of multi-site. It's a selfless thing of saying we want to bring church to where some of our people are coming from so they can invite more of their friends. And so that brings up the question of when and where. We're anticipating a November 2012 launch date. We've got a lot to do between now and then. And initially, we're looking north to northwest. And I know you Mesa folks and Gilbert folks and Peoria folks are all going, bummer, why? Well, there's a reason. And that is that at least initially, and we hope to do other ones in the future, is that that's where the bulk of our people traveling 15 to 30 minutes are coming from. So we're simply going to honor that initially to stand the best chance of seeding this. And our goal is to try to have two to 300 people initially hear the call to be a part of our multi-site. 
We are almost narrowed it down to an exact location. We're looking north and northwest, but we're about a month away from, from signing that deal. We'll let you know as soon as we do. But we have decided on a pastor for our campus pastor. So, so we're still looking for a place. We have a pastor, and we'll talk in just a sec about you, the people. But I want to introduce this pastor to you. He's a graduate of Westmont College over in California. He spent most of his 20s and 30s in business and four years ago had a radical call to ministry. And for the last four years, he's been teaching Bible to high school students in a local Christian high school as well as other subjects. It was a huge call for him to go from business into ministry, but just suffice it to say it was a call complete with all the other things that come with a call. This man has evident spirituality. He's very spiritually mature. He's got a very wonderful, engaging personality and evident gifts in leadership. And he was unanimously extended the call by our elders in the month of December. And so I want to introduce him to you right now so you guys can start to love on him and get to know him a little bit. So uh, welcome Rick and Joe Holman up to our stage. We weren't going to have the microphone. We had microphone a, problems uh, in the first service, yeah. Challenges, but. You know what? We treat our first service as a practice service. Don't do that at the multi-site. <laughs> so these guys never see that. Rick, um, thank you. Thank you for accepting God's call. Thank you for uh, loving your church enough to be a part of this. Jill, thank you for loving your husband and your church and your family and for sharing them with us in this way. Uh, Rick, you might recognize, because every Sunday he's up here on the stage, in addition to his call to ministry, he plays acoustic guitar, which might save us on the worship pastor thing. And so, uh, but, but no, in all seriousness, you're going to be the campus pastor, which will be involved with pastoral care and small groups and overseeing the other staff and all of that. And, and Rick, why don't you begin, I gave him a little bit about your bio, but why don't you begin by just telling us a little bit about your call to ministry that's led you up to this point. That might be important for these folks. First of all, I, I'm extremely humbled and blown away at what God can do when your hands are wide open. Um, when I was young, I can imagine stick people, okay, and I drew hats on three stick people. One was a baseball cap, one was a cowboy hat, and one was an astronaut's helmet. And notice it all had head coverings. So I don't know if that had something to do with a future thing, but... Um, as I got older, some of those things went away. Baseball took a little bit longer to get rid of, but um, when I was about 12, uh, my dad left our family, and we had a, a pretty tough, challenging time at that point. Um, security was lacking in our family at that point, and immediately my hat changed to where I, I put dollar signs and safety and security on that hat, and I've been marching from that point on towards, I knew I needed to go to college, I knew I needed to marry young, I knew I needed to have kids young, I needed a certain position, a certain amount of money, a certain amount of stuff by a certain, amount, a certain age. And by golly, I'm a driven guy and just could knock all that out. But in college, I became a Christian. So 1986, I became a believer at Westmont. And there became this thread that began to weave its way through my life. And as I got involved in church, I became a, a, in teaching and leading in church. And I was the guy who was always preaching to the other guys to say, hey, your security is not found in your stuff. Your security is found in the Lord. Um, I was very good at preaching that. I wasn't very good at listening to that. And so 
I held very tightly to everything that I could control. Um, it was nine years ago, I got a call from the president of our company who said, I'd like you to go to Arizona. We were living in Colorado at the time. And I thought, why am I gonna go to Arizona? <laughs> I've got Rocky Mountains. And so uh, we, me thinking the way I was saying, I thought, well, I can be the president of a company and this is gonna be kind of my next level to rise to. And when I got here, everything I touched in Colorado turned to gold. Everything I touched here just didn't quite work as easily as it did uh, where I came from. And I struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled, and I began my wrestling with God in this desert. And I, I compared a little bit to Job and a little bit to Moses. Um, there wasn't a burning bush, but I did have a, a hill. We live kind of in the mountain preserve over here, and there's one hill that I would run to the top of fairly regularly. I called it my prey hill. And the reason I call it prey hill was when I got to the top of it, I was usually breathing so heavily that the only thing I could concentrate on was breathing and praying. And so my mind was clear, and I began arguing a little bit with God, saying, why did you send me here? Why are we doing this? I don't understand it. And there was no answer. And months later, I would do it again, and there was no answer. There was no answer, no answer, no answer. Finally, I get to the point with Job when he got a little bit angry with God. And not quite that I cursed the day I was born, but it was more, why did you send us to this God-forsaken desert? It's 190 degrees. <laughs> and and it, at that moment, I could see the sun kind of come up in the east through a saddleback, and it illuminated the entire uh, preserve and part of the city and immediately I could feel this voice of God replying to Job saying how dare you curse me and it was at that moment I recalled a message that was delivered here at this church by Louise Palau uh, about a passage in Isaiah where it says here I am send me hmm. and at that moment I just fell I just opened my hands I said Lord I think I know what it is you, you've been trying to pry everything that I've held so secure and try to hold all to myself this control for so long. And it was at that moment I said, I'm yours. I'll do whatever and go wherever you want me to go. Within days, uh, there was an opportunity that presented itself at this school. Um, and, and I just said, I really believe that's where God wanted me to be. And so I love working with kids. I love working with families. And so I go to this school. And so I, I, I'm thinking, I told my wife, I said, Jill, I don't know how we're going to do this. We're going to have to try and figure out how to be content on an 86% pay cut. <laughs> and the house is going to be a little bit smaller. And we have four kids. And so uh, she was with me all the way, which has been really pretty incredible. We, we celebrate 23 years of marriage uh, this last year. So it'll be yeah. 24 this year. We're excited about that. Um, and at that moment, I go, okay, I'm yours. And so I, I take on this teaching job, and, and, it, and my life's been changed as a result of it. And then when you came to me six months ago as we started navigating this process, I thought it's got to be God furthering what I've started to do. And, you know, I watched Rick go through that. It was about four years ago right when I came here. And I, I saw him go from, you know, the country club membership, the new cars, the really big house. Not that there's anything wrong with any of that, but I saw, you know, your lifestyle. And all of a sudden, you, you moved to a different house. You kept the same car. You're no longer playing golf and, and all that stuff. And, again, not that there's anything wrong with golf. i got to always give caveats there. But I saw this huge lifestyle change. 
And I remember asking you, what's up? And you share with me your calling. And so that's why I approached Rick, because I thought if you've been called to that, then maybe this would not be too far of a leap. And we've really affirmed this in you, Rick. Why don't you share with us just one brief thing before we call an elder up to pray for you and for all of us who are going to be involved in this. What are you most excited about at the prospect of SBC going multi-site, of starting a campus of two or 300 people that we know will grow uh, north of here? What, what most excites you about that? Well, I guess, I mean, the, the, the main thing is we get to take 50 years of history and experience of Scottsdale Bible and put it someplace else in a more in intimate campus or an intimate community. And, and, and I get to play a, a role in that, which, yes. which is super exciting. Um, I love people. I love working with people. Uh, I want to love on people. And, and I'm, I'm excited that we can take a core group of people from this body and go into a community that, that's having a challenging time to get to this campus and, and go out and reach a bunch of people who don't go to church. I mean, that's kind of where my heart is, is really to go find the unchurched. Amen. In fact, I had a dream that I shared with Jamie early yeah, on where great dream. I said, Jamie, it's the weirdest thing. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I had this dream. I was on a little house on the prairie. Which is part of the calling. Yeah. <laughs> and so some of you might remember, but John Ritter periodically played a pastor on, on there. And so I, I saw myself as John Ritter going through Walnut Grove saying, hey, we're going to start church next Sunday. Come on down here at 10 o'clock. And so I, I shared that with Jamie and he, he chuckled, said, keep dreaming. So Yeah, exactly. So here, here's what we want to do, and that is that I, I'd like you all to read our multi-site brochure just so you can, at the very, very least, pray for us. As I said, we need a place, we need a pastor, we need people. We're very close to a place. We have our pastor. Now we need you. And so what I'd like you to do is pray about even what your involvement might be. Certainly, if you live north of here, like we're talking north of the 101 area, then north to northwest, then we'd ask you to consider uh, even checking off. There's a tear-off card in here that you're interested in being a part of this. It's not too early to start that process, even though we're going to be bringing this to you more in the next few weeks. But at the very least, begin praying for us. We want to bathe this in prayer. We want this to be God-led. We know the evil one is not going to be happy with this, and so we anticipate uh, attacks and all of that, so we need to be covered in prayer. And I've asked Jeff Goebel, who's the chairman of our elders this year, to be on hand here right now to pray for Rick and for Jill for their family. They got two twins at Westmont College and two twins in high school. So they got a, a full load. And, uh, and now you got twin churches that you're going to start working with. And so we've asked Jeff to pray for the Holmans and also to pray for us as a body. So Jeff, would you do that? Lord, it's just so exciting to hear your hand and your call on Jill and on Rick. And it's been such a pleasure to have them amongst us here at Scotsdale Bible Church these years and to watch their faith and their great walk with you. Lord, we, we're thankful for their call and their obedience and we pray for them and for the kids that your hand would be upon them, they would feel your blessing in their new ministry and their new life and that, uh, Lord, that we would be supports for them and come alongside them and help them. Father, there are perhaps two or 300 of us who you are going to call to go along with Rick and Jill in starting this new work. And I ask that you begin the process now of speaking to us individually about how we can be a part of this first multi-site launch. launch. And, and Lord, then for, as Rick said, uh, for those who need you, for those who need to experience the love that Jamie spoke about earlier, mm. we begin praying for them now as well, that uh, you would give us uh, the ability, the passion, 
the giftedness and the love to reach to them and to bring you and your hope to them as well. Father, we ask that you bless this initiative over this next year and two and three, and we look forward to giving you the glory as a result of watching you do great things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Show your appreciation to Rick and Jill for being up here. Thank you. Blessings. All right. For those of you who watch the clock, you know we're out of time. You're losers for doing that. And uh, I'm just kidding. Let me wrap up by saying this. Uh, we started off this morning talking about love and that love is personal and relational nature. We've given a lot of thought to this year as to how we as a church can love each other more, our community more, and certainly God more. So we've landed on Worship, Connect, and Serve. We hope you've taken that to heart. We've landed on a multi-site strategy that will help us in our outreach as well as in connecting more believers. And then two other initiatives that we're going to talk about next week. So we'll just wrap up with these is that certainly we're going to continue to keep evangelism, the Great Commission, in the forefront of our minds. Though we live in a saturated demographic in five miles around this church, get this. Our best research has shown that about 13% of Scottsdale goes to church. This is a predominantly an unchurched community here in Scottsdale. In fact, large churches throughout the United States come here all the time, try to plant satellites because the research shows that this is a resort town in which there's not a lot of folks. They've been lulled to sleep by materialism who go to church. So evangelism continues to be a high priority for our elders and for us. So lots of events this year that you can avail yourselves of with evangelism. We're going to be having our economic outlook with Barry and Wayne uh, coming up here on January. January 20th, which is a huge outreach event for us, the Women's Wellness Day. We're going to do Link Arms with Tales from the Tour during the Waste Management Open. We're bringing comedian Tim Hawkins in in May. You'll hear about all of that. But it's very important that all of you care enough about lost people and reach out to them in your sphere of influence as a way to build the kingdom here in Scottsdale. And then obviously uh, next week we're kicking off our 50th anniversary celebration. We sent you a brochure on that in, in, in November, December. It's huge. We're so excited. Our motto this year is this. We want to remember, rejoice, and renew. Can you do that with us? We want to remember what God has done. We're going to do a lot of that starting next week over the last 50 years because he's built some wonderful kingdom stuff in and through his church here. We're going to rejoice in what he has done. No self-congratulation at all. All God-honoring, rejoicing in what he has done. And then we're going to renew our hearts this year through things like Worship, Connect, and Serve and our series on Revelation 2 and 3 with our previous senior pastors, all the things we have planned, serving the community with 50 service projects and 50 days of prayer. We're going to renew our lives. And then we've also put together a devotional for you. This has been a huge project done by a lot of the leaders in our church like Daryl Delhuse and Wayne Grudem and our elders and our staff. They've all written devotionals, one for each day of the week, and it's available to you as you go out to the parking lot here today uh, at the table out toward the parking lot. And it's about five bucks for a devotional. I think it's two for ten bucks, so we're just asking for the cost of the printing. But it started January 1st, so it'll take you about 21 minutes to catch up on eight days. And uh, we'd encourage you to pick one of these up and to use this as your devotional, as a way of connecting with the Lord in your church uh, this year. So, so please take advantage of that. And then next Sunday is a big Sunday, so we'd appreciate your prayers and your participation as well. 
as you can tell, I'm fired up about this year. I'm fired up about what God, I think, can do in our hearts and our minds as we band together as the church and, and become a God-honoring, God-glorifying, loving each other in this community place that God has called us to be. So let's stand for closing prayer right now, and then I'll pray for us and let you be on your way. Father God, we've uh, unloaded a lot of stuff on these dear folks here this morning, and so as we're thinking, Lord, about our church and certainly about you and all the things going on, I pray, God, that you might be speaking and nudging each one of our hearts and our minds, each of us individually. Lord, as you know, I say so often, there's not one person here in this worship center in any of our services or even in our city and our world who's beyond the scope and reach of your grace. It's that strong. You're that good. And so, God, I pray that as we each are dealing with our own daily lives, that, God, we'd also set aside a lot of time in our hearts and our minds to consider our church this year. And, Lord, that we might consider what you're doing in and through this local expression of the body of Jesus Christ as we worship and connect and serve, as we go multi-site, as we evangelize, as we certainly, Lord, celebrate 50 years of ministry in the valley. God, I thank you for each person here today, that every person matters to you, that you're constantly chiseling away at our lives and our souls, bringing us to you, and showering us with your grace. And so, God, may we be faithful followers of you as you continue to call us deeper and closer to you. And I pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.